Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Hannah Tom continues our series on parables. Hannah looks at the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 and helps us see that we have a lot in common with both the younger and the older son. Regardless of which we identify with more, God the Father is running after us with open arms, always willing to welcome us home. We hope you enjoy this message. Hello, how are y'all doing tonight? I like the hoedown attire. Very nice. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Hannah. I'm serving as the high school girl intern this year. Um, having a great time so far. I think I met a lot of you at the pool party and last time and at senior sessions and a couple here and there just around the church and whatnot. But if I haven't met you yet, just like Nathan said, please come say hi. I would love to meet you. I'm very bad with names. It'll take a couple times, but I'll remember. <laughs> or I'll associate it with something. I remember Mackenzie as a horse girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> to introduce myself a little bit more, I have some pictures, I think. <laughs> That's me and my sister. We have bowl cuts. I never had bangs after I turned five years old because of these pictures. <laughs> It's me playing softball in fifth grade. Yeah. Anyone play softball? Oh, a couple. That's me going to a Jonas Brothers concert. <laughs> this is about 13 or 14. I think 14 going into high school. That's me and my, the worship team that I serve with at CIU. Those are a lot of my really, really, really good friends. I love them a lot. That's me with a couple of the other Res Life members. I've been in an RA there too, so those are a lot of my close, like, girl community. Those are me and some of my best friends from Wisconsin. That's where I'm from. Shortly after this photo was taken, you know how your phone shuts off when it gets overheated? They shut off from being too cold in Wisconsin. Like literally five minutes after we took this, it was just, it was done for. And that's me and more of my friends in Target, because I love Target. Tar Target, turn up. <laughs> and a lot of the other interns have been showing pictures. So at middle school, sometimes we teach too. And they showed pictures of them and their significant other. That's me and a, a stray cat from my college campus. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I put that in today. I was like, Chaz put a pic with his girlfriend up. <laughs> All right, yeah. <clears throat> so we've been in parables. Matt did an awesome job of starting off the series two weeks ago. And then I was like, hey, Matt. Do I get to talk to high school? He's like, yeah, I want to do it next time. It's like, all right, here we go. So I really wanted to do the parable of the prodigal son because I've just found that one to hit home so many times over and over again. And it's super popular because I think it hits home for a lot of people in a lot of different ways because there's so much to get God out of it. <laughs> so um, before jumping into it, um, I kind of wanted to share a little bit of my story because I think it'll help connect to it. So I'm going to give like a 30-second testimony and then fill in a little bit of it with color. I used to work for a ministry that would challenge you to come up with your 30-second testimony, your three-minute testimony, and your 30-minute testimony, and be prepared to give them at any time. So I'm going to try and do the 30-second one right now, just so you have an idea of like my life before we go into this, because it'll help make sense, I think. 30 seconds. I'm 25 years old. I was raised in Wisconsin. Um, went to a Lutheran church. It didn't mean much. It was very much so practice, 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 not like, you know... Here's what we believe, and like, it, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus until I turned 18, but I went to youth group church all throughout, um, met Jesus on a mission trip, 
with Next Step Ministries, if you're going to their Lexington trip, shout out. Um, <clears throat> met Jesus at 18, um, but I didn't have good community. I went off to public college for three years. I made a lot of really, really bad decisions at public college. I was a graphic design major. Um, had a fun time doing that. I just like artsy stuff, but it wasn't for me. So after three years, I decided I needed to leave Wisconsin. I moved here to South Carolina because I'd been an intern at, with Next Step at Matt's old church, and that's where we met like six years ago, actually. And then I started school at CIU after taking two years off, and I currently major in Bible teaching. I'm gonna graduate in, I'm gonna graduate in one year. Yeah. 30 seconds. I didn't know what I was gonna say. Okay. To fill in a couple of the holes, I'm gonna talk about... Um, it's kind of a sad start. It's a couple moments in where I felt super lost in my life. The first ones, I'm kind of going to go like layer it down. On the surface layer, I've had super bad vision my entire life. Who in this room has put on my glasses before? And can, can you see anything? Not a single thing, Justin says. Hayden, anything? No, nothing at all. Super bad. Anyone else have like the worst vision that you ever, like that you know? Yes, like you can't see like this far in front of you. Same, that's how I feel. I take off my glasses. I only know who Hayden is because her hair is so blonde. That's about all I know. <laughs> Otherwise, you're all dots. So in the morning when I wake up, these glasses are clear, right? I reach for them, but I can't see them because they're clear. So every single morning, I wake up a little bit lost. <laughs> also, I've lost a lot at sports. <laughs> I think I've gotten cut from a lot of sports over the years. I tried volleyball for two years. I was in the B team, never got to play. I consider that a big loss. Same with basketball. I got cut from softball my freshman year of high school. I eventually went back and made it, but it kind of felt like a pity thing. Like, you tried out again? Okay, you can come back this time. So like, I tried to find my identity in sports. It didn't really work. It felt super duper lost in that. Um, I still love attempting, but I'm not very good. <laughs> we tried playing pool volleyball a few weeks ago, and I, I was like, I have to stop. I'm not good at this. Um, those are kind of like the surface level examples. Um, Mid-level, I've lost some good friends over the years, but that's kind of the nature of like moving out of the state is like you kind of realize like which friends are like there for your heart and which ones are just there for like your presence in the moment. Um, so from moving to Wisconsin to South Carolina, I think the picture that I showed with those three girls, two girls plus me, are two of my best friends, but like the only two that like I really stay in touch with from Wisconsin and they were from my youth group that consisted of 15 girls. I didn't say that in the 15, or the 30, the 30 seconds. Um, I also struggle with voice loss, because <laughs> um, when I sing, I like to get really loud. And in general, I like to get really loud sometimes. If you ever hear me laugh, I mean, you'll kind of know. I just, it gets really loud. So I, I have a problem with losing my voice. I have nodes. It's real, pitch perfect, it exists. It's like a callus on my vocal cord. Nodes, I know. If, sometimes I say O's oh, really weird because I'm from Wisconsin. I'll say like, um, anyone going to Boulder, Colorado? Or do you want to go down the road to the store? Do I? <laughs> um, or I'll say trash bag. Anyone got a trash bag for that, <laughs> for that container over there? Thumbs up? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I struggle with voice loss. That's the worst because I tried to find my identity in singing and I tried to find it in what I could do. But then I felt like that was God showing me that's not where you're supposed to find it. And on a deeper level, um, 
My parents aren't, like, my parents are both alive, but I struggled a lot. Um, after I turned 18, I realized my dad was an alcoholic. Um, so while he, he was alive, I still felt like I lost him, in a sense, for three years. Because I just, he wasn't the same person that I knew growing up who would, like, try and make me better at softball and, like, try and help me learn how to play the sports. But um, he was just checked out for a few years and checked into other places to try and get help. Um, so in a sense, I lost like the family that I thought I had because I didn't realize he struggled with it until I went off to college and like had a drink myself. And then I looked back and I was like, oh, that, that's what my dad struggles with. And I just lost every connection. And then eventually my parents got divorced. Um, so I haven't had that, that bond like that in a minute um, with my family. Well, actually now down the road, it's a little bit better. I'll get into that later. Um, and also, a bigger one, lost my identity. <laughs> Not like literally with like my you know, cards and stuff, but when I went to school and I started partying and stuff, I thought I knew who I was. And then I got saved the summer before I went off to college for the first time. I think a lot of you are in those, in those shoes, and I've met a fair amount of you at the senior sessions, which you should definitely go to if you're a senior. I think they're going to be super beneficial before you go to college. Because I'd never, I'd never drank a sip of alcohol before I went to college or struggled with anything really in that scene. And then the second I got there, it was so, so easy for people to come around me and say, no, no, you should, this is for you. This is who you're gonna be now. This is your new identity. This is where you're gonna find yourself. And I said, okay, I'll go with you, I guess. Because I just didn't have any community. I didn't build anything up before I went. I only had a few really good friends, but I was the only person in my youth group who was even saved and we didn't really have a sense of what community looked like. And that also ties along with losing any sense of where I belong. I had no idea where I fit in because I was doing art stuff in high school, so they told me to go to college for art, but I got there and I was like, I know I don't really love this program, I know this isn't what I'm supposed to do, but I'm here, you know? And then I had these people usher me and they're like, no, go do this, and I was like, yes, I'll do this. So then I found my belonging here, but at the same time, I had like a couple people at home who were like, Anna, don't do that. But I was like, but I don't, I don't, I belong, I don't know where I belong right now. So I had nothing to ground myself in, absolutely nothing. I, in a sense, I was extremely, extremely lost. I had no identity, no place to belong, nowhere I called home, no one I really called family at that point. In every single sense of the word, I was completely lost. And I want you to look at yourselves and kind of find that, or if you haven't been doing that already, like think about the times in your life where you felt lost. Maybe you relate to something I said, maybe not. Maybe you relate to something Matt or Rachel has said in ways they felt lost in their lives. But no matter what it is, I want you to kind of keep that in mind and think about that and let that sit for a minute and really just focus in and ask yourself these couple questions as we go through all of this. When you are lost, in whatever sense of the word, if it's like you're super involved with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or you're already dabbling in things that we shouldn't really dabble in, or you just really don't know who you are, in a very general sense, like you're in a place in life where you just don't know where you fit, I want you to ask yourself, how do we find ourselves? And how do we seek out what's lost? If not in me, maybe you just know a friend who's lost, or if not in yourself, and you see them, and you know that they're lost, but you don't know what to do, and you don't know how to help yourself or help them. How do we seek out what's lost, and how do we find ourselves?
So if you have your Bibles or your digital Bible or a friend has a Bible, open it up to Luke 15, and we're going to be in 11 through 32, starting at 11. Just take a second to flip there. Right. I'm going to read through 11 through 24 first. We're going to work through this in two different sections. So starting at 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, or the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And that's the first section of this that we're going to start to talk to. Start to talk about. Um, So something super important about the whole entire Bible and specifically this passage is that reading it without knowing the context is like me trying to name you guys off without my glasses. <laughs> it's like looking around and like, I can take a wild guess, but there's a good chance, a very high chance, I'm going to be very, very wrong. <laughs> and that's what it's like to read the Bible without looking at the historical context and understanding the background, because that gives you all of the direction to finally understand it. So a lot of what we're going to be doing is pulling up what that is, so that we can really look at what it should mean. So the super big things that we need to look at are the identity of the son in this and the character of the father in response to the son. The identity of the son. Does anyone know what a hired servant is? What was it? Serve for pay. True. Anyone else got another definition? Hired servant. He said serve for pay. Sounds pretty simple, right? A hired servant. The interesting thing about this is, in this place and time, a hired servant was lower than a slave. So like in all the levels of people who were working for someone else, a hired servant was the lowest of the low because a hired servant was... um, Hired literally like day to day. You didn't know if you were going to work the next day when you were a hired servant. You just knew that you had until the end of that day. But if they wanted to hire you back, 
You had to ask and you had to find out because it wasn't like a, a promised thing. Whereas like slaves were kind of promised, like you're, you're going to be here with me. But the hired servant went day to day wondering if they would even be there the next day. I don't know about y'all, but I can't live like that. <laughs> Has anyone have, ever had a really bad boss? And like I worked in restaurants. Maybe you work in restaurants and you kind of get like a glimpse of that feeling. No, not really. Yes? Oh, <laughs> Rachel's had a bad boss. Well, sometimes, sometimes you do, but usually like in this day and age, you're kind of like, you know you've got a couple more days, but the hired servants never knew if they would have another day unless they were told prior. So the son here, he went from being a son with like this, this inheritance coming towards him, which the father gave him before he died, which shouldn't have happened. Usually the, the father dies and then his inheritance goes on. But the father generously gave him his portion prior. And the son took it and gathered all that he had. That means he got all of his gatherings and pretty much like pawned them off for money. So he did that so he could squander in reckless living, which is like when you think reckless living, it's like he had... Um, prostitutes, he was probably drinking, probably dabbling in everything you shouldn't be dabbling in. He did everything imaginable that you would consider to go along with the word reckless with all of the money that he had. So much so that he brought himself down to be someone who is just a hired servant. When he had initially had all of this inheritance, he had a home, he had a father, he had a family. But he squandered everything he had and he was brought to the point of being a hired servant. That being said, at some point, he looked at this, and he knew that he was lost. And then he looked back at home, and he was like, but my, my dad gives his hired servants more than I'm getting right now. I'm eating the pods that the pigs eat, which is like, you know, the grossest of the gross. I can't even imagine, like, what kind of pod a pigs eat, but I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> um, so that's the food that he's eating, but he looks back at his father and he's like, they're eating like actually decent food. I kind of like, that's a better deal than this. I used to be a son, but I think I have to go back even though I'm like the level of a hired servant right now. So he does that. He turns around. It says he came to himself and realizes this and he wants to say to his father, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. When he comes to his father, what does his father do? He runs. He runs to see him. And in Middle Eastern context, you don't do that. They wear their robes, and if you're over the age of 30 in this context, you're supposed to walk just like graciously towards something. But the father picked up his old man robes and ran to his son, bearing all of the shame that that comes with in this context. Because that's the most shameful, one of the most shameful things you can do is show your legs when you're that old in Middle Eastern context. But he does it anyways. He takes on the shame so that he can run to his son and greet him while he was a long way off. Meaning like he sees his son is in the pits. His son's in the pits, probably doesn't like deserve to be saved, and yet he sees him and he runs. I don't know about y'all, but like when I'm in the pits, I'm ashamed to even like read my Bible sometimes because I'm like, I don't, I'm not even worthy to read this right now. I'm not worthy to be called a daughter. I'm not worthy 
to have this kind of love. But that's exactly when he looks at you and he sees you and runs to you. So like in my story, in my testimony, this came in the form of my roommate named Shella. Her name was actually Shella. She was super hippy dippy. She hula hooped on our front lawn <laughs> at my college in Wisconsin. I would look up at like 3 p.m. when I'm doing homework and there's Shella hula hooping in the front lawn. Like she has no relationship with Jesus, not a single cent of it. But she's the person who came to me. My third year at that school in Wisconsin when I was making a whole lot of mistakes. But she, she knew that like I wanted to be Christian and I was just not on my way there. And one time we sat down at our couches and she was like, Anna, I don't, I don't know why you're messing around with like everyone here and all of this stuff. Like, I love you, but I know there's so much better for you out there. There's so much better for you with all these ministries that you've like worked with on and off. And like the songs you sing in the shower, they're, they're about this God who sounds so much better than this life you're living here. And that was when I was in the pits. And I fully think that that was definitely God speaking to me through Shella because I know she didn't like understand the truth she was saying to that level. But I look back at that moment and then I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> that was God. He, he was looking at me from a long way off and welcoming me back home. And the other part that I want to point out about this is what the father does. So he rose and came to his father when he was a long way off. The father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get that third line out where he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. The commentaries debate whether or not the son intended to stop talking then because he didn't even want to ask to be a hired servant because he felt so bad or if the father cut him off. But what I'm seeing is, regardless of that, what happens next is the most important part of that, not where he was coming from and saying that or not saying that. The important part is in that moment where he wants to be treated as a hired servant, and a lot of fathers in this place like probably would then like treat their sons as hired servants. That's when the father clothed him in his best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and brought the fattened calf and killed it, and said, let us eat and celebrate, for my son is dead, was dead, and is alive again. So literally, the son was about to strip himself of like, all of his identity, and the father looked at him and said, I don't know, you're, you're worthy of the highest identity. You need to <laughs> accept all of these things, because the robe... The robe meant sonship and restoration. So that was him restoring him into the family honor and restoring his place as his son in the family, not as a hired servant. He wasn't like, no, you're not the lowest of the low. He said, you're my son again, and I'm restoring that to you. And the ring restored authority in the family. And it restored his place and who he was within the community as well. Because they all saw this. Like, these are small towns. This probably took place in a super small town. And he did it in the eyes of everyone, the dad. He's like, these people are going to see you coming back and they're going to know that you've been destroying the property that I gave you in reckless living. But I'm going to show them with this robe and this ring that I'm restoring, reestablishing relationships, restoring your sonship, and he reconciles with him fully. Because making him the fattened calf and killing it, to eat with someone in this time was super sacred. It wasn't like, 
how we do it now, like, hey, want to get lunch? Want to go, like, get some ice cream or some, like, late-night brownie sundaes? It was like, if we're having a meal, that means I fully accept you and who you are. And that's what the fattened calf represents, is that he was reconciled fully. He fully accepts him in everything that he's done and everything he said and every mistake he's made so far. And he says, we're good. <laughs> um, and for the longest time, I looked at this section of the passage and never kept reading. Like, literally, if you look at my Bible, whenever I highlighted this, I just, like, I kind of stopped with whatever, whenever I did this blue color. Like, I just saw this. But the most important part is still to come. So reading in 25 to 32 now. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house... He heard music and dancing, and he called out to one of the servants and asked what those things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. The father came out, though, and entreated him, but he answered his father. He said, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, killed your fattened calf, and you killed your fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's pretty fair of him to be kind of mad about it. It really is. Because that ring, the ring that the father put on the, the first son, it's usually designated for the older son to have it, to receive it. So even looking in, he has the right to be mad specifically for that reason. He just gave this sense of authority to the younger son who came back after doing all of this reckless stuff. When all along, like, it probably would have gone to the older son. The identity of this son, I honestly thought was so different too for so long. Because he was with the father all along, right? Like, he's been working in the fields. He's been doing his job. He's essentially been like the best workman this whole entire time. But is he that different? The way I see it is, well, and the way we're going to look at it, um, is the older son essentially started building up this wall like of things that he's done, right? He's like, I've been in your fields. I've been working. I've been with you this whole entire time. And he's like building up this, this identity for himself. He's building up this, this persona of who he is. And this is it. This is all of the things he's done. They're stacked up so nicely. They are very crisp and clear and clean. But the father says, oh. <laughs> he says, no, like this is like, that's not important. What's important is the relationship. The father just wants to have fellowship with you. He wants you to sit down with him and, and talk with him and be near him and just be in relationship, not build this whole wall, this whole wall of crystal clear, perfect little things. Which for me, if I'm honest, like, I did the stupid thing. I went to the first college and I made all the mistakes. But then, like, later down the road, like, I kind of cleaned it up and I, went to, I ended up going to CIU and I've been at CIU for two years now, going into the last one. And I did exactly what he did, honestly. And I didn't even realize it until maybe like this last year or so, people started to call me out. It was like all of a sudden, it flipped. I was like, 
you know, I'm so great. I do, I do like, um, I lead a small group. I like to sing and lead worship. I go to all my classes. I have really good attendance. I do my homework. I read my Bible. I read the commentaries. I hang out with community and do like all of this stuff. When all of that's doing is building a wall in between you and God. So while you feel like you're so much closer, it's just because there's this really skinny, but like definitely there wall between you and him that you've built. The difference isn't the distance, but just that, the wall that you've built right there. And that's exactly what this older son did here. He thought he was so much closer, when realistically, that's exactly what he was doing. He said, he never disobeyed you, he served you, he served every command, but you never gave me the young goat that I might celebrate. But when the son of yours came, devoured your property with prostitutes, you know, and continues on, like, he's doing exactly that. He's building this wall. And what that shows us is that the sons are so similar. So completely similar. And you can even prove it when, like, he says in verse 30, no, no, 29, that he wanted the young goat so that he might go celebrate with his friends. And saying that, he's saying, like, just like the first son did, he took his properties and he went out and, like, hung out with his other friends. That's exactly what this older son wants to do, too. He wants to, like, have this young goat and go celebrate with my friends. So they seem so different on paper, but they're actually pretty similar. And the father doesn't treat them any differently either. Because while he ran out to the first one, he went out to the second one too. If you look, and that's the super cool part, is in 28, he sees that his son is angry, but he comes out and entreats him and talks to him. He comes out to him. He didn't have to go as far because he was like right here with them all along. But the wall still required the father, the father to go out and talk to him. If anything, I would say the second son is like a little bit further behind because he doesn't notice that he needs the father's relationship. Where the first son, he was far out. He was deep in the pit. And he looked back and he's like, I've got to go back. I've got to get back in the family. I've got to get my identity and my community back. I've got to restore this relationship. But the second son didn't even see that. He was so far off, even though he was right there. So, zooming out of that a little bit, Jesus does this exact same thing. The whole entire context of Luke 15 is Jesus talking to the tax collectors and sinners who are drawing near to him when he was speaking to the Pharisees. So he's telling this parable, the story we just read, to the Pharisees initially. They're all sitting around talking with him, but then the tax collectors and sinners come up, and that's when the Pharisees grumble, and they're like, you dine with sinners and tax collectors? Because that means fully accepting them. Remember the fattened calf? The first son, how he ate the fattened calf with him, that represents full restoration and full reconciliation. And that's exactly what Jesus did with the sinners and the Pharisees alike. He sat with both of them, all of them with him, and ate with every single one of them all at once. That's kind of a hint at like the Gentiles and the Jews not getting along. But that also works with us too, because... We can do that sometimes, create these divisions in our culture. Like when you think you've been doing the right thing your whole entire life, you've been through church, you've been to every single Bible study, you've been with all of your friends um, who go to church only and not um, people who don't believe in Jesus. Because I've done both of it because I've also been on the other side where I'm like, 
no, I can't hang out with those people who believe all that and do all those good things. Um, I want a more raw relationship with Jesus. That one's so rigid and so like clean cut. It's just like a, you know, super crystal clear thing. And I was like, I'm too, I'm already mucked up. I can't, I can't hang out with those people. They're still so like crystal clean. But realistically, that's not the point. The thing we do have in common though, that that should be the basis on how we make community is that we don't find our identity in everything around us. We don't find our identity in the culture that we hang out with, this group or that group, but rather you root your identity in Jesus. And that's exactly how you'll be found. If you don't know where you are, who you are, where you belong, or what you're supposed to be doing, it's because you're in need of rooting your relationship with Jesus, your identity in Jesus. You need to find solid ground on that and nothing else. So I think something that helps me a lot in reading the Bible is reading other passages that talk about like the same thing and just hearing a different wording. But this one also comes to a really cool little conclusion. So if you have your Bible, flip to Ephesians 2. I'm just going to read 12 through 18. Remember that you were all, that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down the wall of flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those of you who were near. For through him, we both have access to one spirit in the Father. I just see a lot of truth in that. Um, Because I've been both. And there's a good chance you probably identify with one of these two brothers there's also a good chance you'll probably end up being both at some point in your life. And the humbling thing to do is probably admit that. It really, like, the first one I was, it was so easy. It was so obvious to me that I was the first one when I first read this. Hence why it has so much more highlighter than the other ones. The second one is really hard to admit. Because you don't want to admit that while you're so close, you're just as far as everyone else. That's super hard because that's also admitting it while you're, with everyone in that community that I don't, I don't quite have it like I thought I did. I don't have the relationship. I've got all the facts. It's so crystal clear and perfect. But it might be muckier than I thought, and I just didn't admit it yet. So a couple questions that you can, or here's one question. So I want to ask, are you finding yourself within the divisions of culture, or are you rooting yourself in the divine family of Christ? Because there's one place you should be standing, and we've all got to meet there. And that's knowing our identity in Christ and living in that together. And I think I have one more slide. So, I guess my challenge is find your identity in Christ. First thing, root your identity there. Find it nowhere else. Literally, get to know Christ, hang out with him, and let him give you your identity. Then find your people. All of the people who are going to protect you and take care of you and love you and reach out to you when you're lost. 
find your Shella, find your, the two girls who will still talk to me eight years even though I moved out of the state and barely go back. <laughs> find those people who are gonna come get you when you're lost, but also find them because you love them and if they get lost, you wanna find them too because that's the last thing. Find your identity in Christ, then find your people. Then find your people. If you see them wandering off, don't let them go. <laughs> if you see it and you know it because you've been there, you've been both people and you see exactly what their path is looking like, you might be the person who God wants to go get them and find them and bring them back because he uses all of us to do that. He uses community to do that. He uses leaders in our lives. Find your identity, find your people, and find your people. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to get to know you and hang out with you and get to know your son more. I'm so thankful for what he did on the cross. He lifted our shame and took it upon himself. I thank you for just the people you put in our lives who take care of us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who nudges us to take care of others. And I thank you for just bringing us peace when we're lost and pointing us in the right direction. I pray that we're able to look in that direction, see you at the end of it, and run towards you as you're running towards us. I pray we don't just shuffle along, but we run back to you because you take care of us and you love us, Lord. I thank you so much for loving us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.